Hey there, Braves fans. Welcome to another edition of State of the Braves. I'm your host, George McNair. Really good to be back with you guys uh, after a kind of up and down uh, last uh, week or so of the season for the Braves. Um, it kind of started in disappointing fashion. After being on a really good run, the Braves uh, lost three straight games for only the second time this year, losing two, uh, two games in kind of heartbreaking fashion against the Cardinals in uh, a tough series up in uh, St. Louis. And then uh, just kind of a snoozer of a game, losing that first game against the Rockies, getting back to Atlanta. Maybe they were a little tired after the road trip. I'm not sure what was going on with that game. But nonetheless, after those games, uh, they have won three straight. And it's been, uh, especially the last two games, have been really fun to watch. I think two of the more fun games uh, for the Braves all season. Um, you know, so one of the disappointing things about those three losses is, you know, the Mets were going against uh, the Dodgers in part of that and part of that time. And you really felt like this might be an opportunity for the Braves uh, to to take some games back. And it would have been if the Braves could have been a little more consistent and won one or two more games. Uh, the lead obviously would be down uh, to one or two games right now, but it still remains three games right now. The Mets are not cooperating in terms of uh, maybe losing a few um, if they could hit a rough patch here at the, at the end of the season. It would really help things out uh, for the Braves to take the NL East. Uh, but, you know, the Mets have proven to be consistently uh, just a solid team. I don't know that we can expect them to collapse uh, like many Mets teams in the past. So the Braves are going to have to take it, uh, I think, in order to win, uh, to win the division this year. Uh, but yeah, nonetheless, I mean, these last uh, two games, you know, I mentioned were really fun to watch for, you know, for some different reasons. I mean, certainly on the field uh, was was pretty cool and uh, some off the field stuff, too. So, you know, uh, the last game against the Rockies um, after kind of a snooze fest in the first game, the Braves just barely hang on uh, in uh, what was almost a ninth inning collapse from Kenley Jansen, who uh, hasn't been super right lately. Uh, but they hang on three to two in that second game. But game three was really fun to watch as Spencer Strider just really put on uh, a a show. Uh, Strider has been great all year, particularly since he's uh, entered the uh, the starting rotation. I think it's been one of the biggest uh, keys to the Braves turning things around after uh, two slow months to start the season. But Strider dominated in this final game against the Rockies. Eight innings pitch, 16 strikeouts. Uh, only allowing two hits and no walks. It was one of probably the most dominant starts of any pitcher uh, all year long and one of the best starts I can ever remember seeing of any anybody in a Braves uniform. It was just really remarkable. Um, he set an Atlanta uh, record uh, for strikeouts in a game, surpassing John Smoltz, who had struck out 15 uh, in two, on two separate occasions. Uh, Warren Spahn did it for the Milwaukee Braves. He struck out 18, but he that was in a different era uh, when pitchers would go beyond in, in extra inning games. He he pitched all 15 innings to get those 18 strikeouts, which in and of itself is is impressive um, in a different way, maybe. But um, but yeah, in in eight innings to strike out 16 guys, uh, just incredibly impressive stuff from Strider. Uh, he only threw the fastball and slider in that game. That's how good he was. He didn't even need to go to the changeup, which he will throw occasionally. I think he throws about 5% of the time. But, I mean, he could just put that one in his back pocket because he simply did not need it. He was totally in control 
all game long uh, from from the get go, um, and you know, just just really fun to watch. I mean, when when he throws that fastball, number one, I think guys kind of have to gear up for the fastball, and they still have a hard time touching it. Uh, and then when he throws the slider, uh, sometimes the slider is you know so off the plate they might lay off of it, but but usually it's competitive, and uh, they've got no chance. They got no chance. Um, and that's how he got the final strikeout of the night. Uh, it was the only time there was any kind of pressure on him. There was first and third. He had allowed a double, only a second hit allowed all game. And then there was an error on Matt Olson um, that would have ended the inning. So he had first and third, two outs, uh, struck the guy out looking uh, with just a, a devastating slider. Uh, he was pumped up. The, the fans were pumped up. It was just a really, really cool moment. Um, you know, Strider has been so daggone good this year. He has a three and a half wins above replacement in only 114 and two thirds innings. Uh, you know, see, he's about 50 innings uh, shy of what most starters would be um, at this point in the season. You know, so you, so you really think how impressive getting to three and a half wins is. Now, just to have a little bit of perspective, um, the uh, leader in wins above replacement for Major League Baseball for any starting pitcher is Sandy Alcantara uh, with six and uh, about six and a half. And then number two is our own Max Fried with five. Uh, so, you know, again, uh, you could kind of project Strider being around that that five uh, number or maybe even better if he had started the year as a starter. Again, you know, he's going to get plenty of chances in years to come to do that. But man, he has been so good. And he is the next factor, I think, for sure. If his arm holds up, which I don't really see any reason why it, why it wouldn't. People are are worried about Strider and, and his innings, uh, you know, pitched, being a young guy. But everybody's different. You know, I mentioned this before. Everybody is different uh, with, with that sort of thing. And he is so uh, fit and flexible. Um, he has, you know, he does, he does these like weird yoga routines and he has the, um, you know, the most massive, um, legs you'll ever see. And he pitches off of those legs. So, you know, while he's throwing 99, most of the time, uh, I don't think he's putting as much strain on his arm as a lot of people think. Um, and he certainly was showing no signs of being tired in this game, uh, against the Rockies. Strider has the best uh, strikeouts per nine innings of anybody in baseball, and it's actually not even that close. Otani is second for the Angels, but it, he's a full strikeout uh, lower per uh, per game per nine than Strider. Um, you know, people, uh, the broadcast team kept trying to come up with a, a comp for Strider, and I heard a couple. A couple, um, you know, one was he's basically Craig Kimbrell who pitches as you know who's a starter, and I think that one is pretty close. Another one I've heard is Roy Oswalt. I think Brian McCann made that that comp, which physically that seems right. But Strider is um, he just throws harder. I think he has the potential to be much more dominant. Oswalt had a great career, so uh, definitely not you know um, banging on him. I mean, he was a great pitcher, but I think Strider is is different. Uh, he's different than pretty much anybody in baseball right now. Uh, physically, he's very unique because he's kind of shorter for um, a flamethrower kind of pitcher. Uh, but he, you know, he's coming at you from a different angle because of that. The ball comes out; it probably looks like it's rising the entire time. He's not coming down on you like, uh, you know, like a Verlander um, or even a Degrom. Uh, so it's just very, very unique. 
style. And obviously, um, you know, the other comp is DeGrom because these two guys can basically dominate you with two pitches. Um, so in terms of pitch mix, yeah, maybe so. Uh, it's, uh, if you're being ever being compared to DeGrom, you are in uh, good company and you know how good you've been. But it's just really cool to see Strider. This kind of game kind of puts him on a national map a little bit more. Uh, us Braves fans know how good he's been, how special he has been this season. And now maybe people are starting to pay attention a little bit more. It's going to definitely make that National League um, Rookie of the Year race a little more interesting. Of course, that is going to be between two Braves as Michael Harris is also playing tremendous baseball right now. So in this game, not only did you have Strider dominating, uh, you had a couple of home runs. Uh, Austin Riley definitely seems like he is getting back to his old self. Uh, he hit a home run in this game uh, to left center. And then Michael Harris um, also just hit an absolute bomb uh, in this game as well. And so just really, uh, really fun stuff for sure from the Braves in this game. You know, and this is maybe my favorite game of the season. Not only do you have Strider doing what he was doing, you have the couple home runs, but it was also the best broadcast of the season and uh, as far as I was concerned. You had the broadcast team out in uh, right center field, kind of next to um, the Chop House, which I always enjoy when they do that anyways. But they had Brian McCann uh, along with Frank Corr, um doing the, uh, the the color commentary for the game. And those two guys, I mean, you probably, uh, you might know being a Braves fan, but these two guys are best friends from childhood. They, they have tremendous chemistry together. So it was really fun just to see them kind of going off each other anyways. Uh, so it was a great, great way to call a game. Uh, McCann usually not in the booth, but also uh, they had the uh, opportunity to talk to a lot of the Braves uh, throughout the course of the game. And it was just some of the best um, kind of inside baseball that I've really ever heard um, from the Braves. They, they were able to uh, talk to Snicker during the game and just uh, kind of how he opened up with McCann and, and Frank Gore was really cool. Uh, you know, sometimes you kind of feel like you're hearing panned answers uh, and Snicker is, is pretty open and, you know, honest, but, but still you, you tend to hear a lot of, um, you know, things you always hear. And, and he was, um, I feel like definitely more uh, willing to share a little bit more in, in that situation. You have Jackson Stevens. That was probably my favorite interview of the night. Um, of course, he got uh, beamed in the head on a comebacker not too long ago. Looked like he's doing much better. Obviously, able to uh, to do an interview, so he must be doing just fine. But he was a really um, engaging guy there. And, um, you know, as a newcomer to the Braves organization, he gave a lot of insights just in terms of the culture of the Braves, how easy it was for him to, you know, come into a new situation, even though he was kind of back into the bullpen when he started, he just felt like he was, uh, you know, as much a part of the team as anybody else. Uh, and just how much he has fit into that. Luke Jackson also met uh, with the Braves uh, broadcast team during one inning. He's always been kind of a funny, engaging guy. So, you know, it looks like he's uh, getting very close to starting to uh, to throw after Tommy John's surgery. Uh, but, you know, again, just these were very cool insights. Moylan, uh, Peter Moylan was also in there and talking about some of the old uh, days of the Frank Corr and McCann era. And it's just really cool to revisit that. and. Um, talk about, you know, just listen to um, the Braves culture and the fact that it's how, uh, even though some leadership has changed over the years, how consistent the Braves have been in valuing certain things in their player. You know, the biggest takeaway for me 
um, during that broadcast is just how healthy of a culture the Braves have um, have built over the last several decades. Um, it's really cool. It just seems like a place that players want to be. Uh, or when they get there, they they realize this organization is a little different. Um, and uh, that's pretty cool to know as a Braves fan, you know, just a, a thoughtfully crafted culture. The the Braves and Alex Anthopoulos talk about it a lot, uh, that, you know, the clubhouse matters, uh, that they do value guys with high character uh, and that sort of thing. And, of course, it's not ever going to be perfect. You're going to have knuckleheads in, in every clubhouse. Uh, we certainly have our share with Ozuna uh, and maybe a few others on the team. But when most of your – when most of your clubhouse are guys that have high character, who work hard, um, who, yeah, know how to have fun, right? Not everybody's just, you know, have, has a sour face on the whole time. You definitely get that feel from the Braves that, yes, they all care. Um, they all want to win, but they also um, have fun doing it at the same time. And it just comes across when you hear from guys like that. And I definitely got that feeling over this broadcast. It's just Atlanta is a fun place to play. There's not a lot of jerks on the team. And if there are a few jerks, they're kind of put in line by, by most of the rest of the guys, you know, who, who enjoy playing uh, for sure. It's, it's just really cool to see that uh, the Braves, I, you know, I've always appreciated this. The Braves care about character. And I think when you do that, there are certain things that happen on the field that wouldn't happen otherwise. Um, I think you tend to, and I, anybody can connect this, right? If you work somewhere where it's not enjoyable, there's a bunch of jerks when you, when you go into work, you're just trying to get through the day. Um, even in the successes that you might have, you're just not going to enjoy them as much. Um, workplace culture matters. And I think the Braves have a really good one right now. It's not guaranteed it will continue forever, but uh, right now they're definitely doing it. That comes down from the leadership from Alex Anthopoulos. We know the Braves have a great coaching staff of um, pretty interesting characters as well, especially when you think about Ron Washington. But of course, Snicker is kind of at the top of that uh, leading leading the group. And I think that even though I, you know, I struggle a lot with Snicker and his, his game calling stuff at times, his decisions, I do very much appreciate the kind of man he is and the leader he is of that clubhouse. And you see that uh, certainly when, when you get a little bit more of an inside look like they were able to do the other night. Um, you just tend to perform at a higher level at work when you enjoy going to work, when you, when you are doing, doing your work more than just to, you know, punch a clock, uh, you're loose. Uh, you, you're kind of able to be yourself and do things kind of within your own strengths. And uh, you, enjoy, um, you enjoy doing what you're doing. Um, you, you're rooting for the guy next to you. Uh, these things uh, matter no matter what kind of work you're in, and you definitely uh, feel that that's the case with the Braves. It might not be the case 100%. I'm not saying it's the perfect environment ever, but I think it's a pretty positive environment that that um, I think has borne out over their uh, last several seasons, particularly in their success. So just great to see that. So that was, that was uh, the last game against the Rockies, uh, even though the first game was kind of disappointing, a disappointing loss. They are able to take two out of three from the Rockies, move on to the Marlins. And this first game of the series with the Marlins, I was a little nervous about, you know, you're going against San Sandy Alcantara, uh, probably the best pitcher in baseball this year, uh, very much the favorite to win the National League Cy Young Award. Uh, the guy basically goes eight innings every time uh, and is really, really hard to 
to get much against. Now, the positive is the Marlins have a hard time scoring. So, um, you know, I was kind of expecting a two-to-one game, right? Maybe you win it, maybe you lose it. Um, but definitely a, a game that you could see the Braves struggling in. And that wasn't the case. They got to Alcantara in a way that no other team has all year. And it was really fun to watch that. Luckily, I have Apple TV, so I was able to watch it. That is a little annoying, uh, these games that go on Apple TV. Not everybody is able to uh, catch those games. Uh, but, you know, it is a national broadcast. And um, it's kind of fun anytime you get a national broadcast to have uh, others come in, see the Braves, and kind of be impressed by them. And especially, I think what came across was how impressive the young guys were uh, to these uh, the, to these outside broadcasters. I mean, they're they're obviously uh, going to be impressive to anybody, but they definitely showed out in this game. Um, six runs off of Alcantara, off of three two-run homers. Uh, and he was out of the game, uh, not even able to get through six innings pitch, which was really rare for him. Uh, Travis Darno was the, the first guy to touch him up. Um, soon after that, in the same inning, Vaughn Grissom uh, took him deep, which was really impressive. Darno hit a kind of a hanging slider, uh, and Grissom just took him out inside fastball and just turned on it. And that is not easy to do. Uh, and then uh, a little later in the game, Michael Harris. Uh, off of a looked like another slider, uh, just absolutely demolished. When when Harris turns on a ball, I mean he he can hit the ball really far the other way as well and very impressively. But when he turns on one, it's really pretty and it tends to go a really really long ways. Uh, so Harris home run, uh, another home run in back to back games, and then Riley hits another one. And Riley has now hit a home run in I believe it's three straight games. So I, it looks like Riley is coming out of the little funk that he had been in in August, and uh, timing could not be better. Darno capped off the scoring in this game with another home run. He gets a two-home run game. Really impressive from Travis. Uh, he's just a super likable part of this team, and so it's really cool when he is contributing like this. Um, Harris just had a particularly impressive night, right? He had the long home run, but even before that, uh, setting up uh, the Grissom two-run homer, uh, he – he worked a, a deep count against Alcantara, took him the other way off of a, a fastball that might have been off the plate. He tends to do that. Um, you know, so he's showing his great approach. He's showing massive power, um, 15 home runs in, in just about half a season's worth of play, and made another great catch um, in, in right center field that I thought off the bat was definitely going to be an RBI. Uh, double and and he got it. So you know Harris, uh, just awesome play this year. He is now at a 4.1 wins above replacement for the season. He's back up over 300. He's at 301, 15 home runs, has a 140 OPS. You know when Harris came up, everybody was kind of thinking, well, he's going to solidify the Braves defensively. Whatever you get out of him offensively is just bonus. Well, they're not just getting a so-so offensive player. They have gotten an incredibly valuable uh, offensive player playing at an all-star level, both offensively and defensively. And, of course, having signed that that recent extension, uh, he kind of scuffled for a few games after that. But since then, he has just been great. He won uh, the August Rookie of the Month, the second time he's won that award this season. Um, and, you know, let's hope he just keeps doing it. Uh, Harris is proving to be just a really smart, 
really capable baseball player and uh, fun to watch him and um, and Grissom, those two buddies, just doing it. You know, Grissom, his home run was really encouraging to me because he's gone through maybe his first dip of, of his career, last five games or so, hasn't done much. Um, turning on um, a fastball, an inside fastball from Alcantara was really impressive. So a lot of good things going on in the last three games for the Braves. Let's hope that they can continue that uh, for the rest of the season, honestly. They're going to need to. Uh, Ozzie Albies is soon to return. I don't know exactly when, but he has started his rehab assignment with uh, the AAA Gwinnett uh, team. And uh, Mike Soroka is still down in uh, Gwinnett as well, working to get back. Uh, he could basically return at any moment. I think he's scheduled to make another start here soon. Uh, so, you know, these guys, everything I, I'm hearing is mid-September. Uh, they could be back with the Braves. Don't know what you're going to get from either of them, honestly. Um, I've never had a broken foot, but I can imagine, you know, getting strength back in that foot is kind of the main thing. And I would assume that Ozzy wouldn't be back unless his strength in his foot was basically, had basically returned. So I, I assume with him, it's going to just be more getting back into baseball rhythm, uh, getting his swing back and that sort of thing. Uh, with Soroka, of course, he hadn't pitched in two years, so you just have no idea when it might click for him. It might take a long time for him to to really get the feel back for his pitches and, and um, for what uh, he needs to do to be successful. So uh, I have no doubt that Ozzy will, will be back at some point and be um, you know a part of whatever the Brave success might be. Soroka is a little bit more of an open question mark, but you know, getting these guys, these two guys back into the clubhouse too, I, I think is a big value. Um, be, getting them around the team. Uh, Ozzy has been in the, uh, in the dugout a little bit more lately and which has been really good to see, but just like the, the uplift that uh, bringing up, you know, the two young guys, Grissom and Harris has been to the team. I think that's provided a lot of, a lot of boost uh, to the, to the team and the clubhouse chemistry. I think bringing back Ozzy and Soroka is going to do the same thing. So I'm really hopeful that that's going to happen. Another uh, maybe small addition in some ways, but if you watch that broadcast in the bleachers, it definitely came up. Uh, the the re-addition of Jesse Chavez to the bullpen, um, he's been very good for the Braves, uh, better with the Braves than anybody else he pitches with for some reason. Uh, but he's very much valued in that bullpen. So I have no doubt that the Braves brought him back, not only for what he can do on the field, but what he does just in the clubhouse. Um, another guy who's really beloved there. So, you know, it does feel like the Braves are starting to do some things uh, that just on the on the edges that are making them a little better, a little better, a little better uh, as they get closer and closer to the playoffs. And the reality is, you know, I'm I'm very much hoping the Braves can can overtake the Mets and win the division. It's going to be a really tough task. Uh, but even if they don't, you know, I, I do feel really good about this team, uh, what they're capable of doing. I think I mentioned it last episode. They're such a dynamic team. They're, they're unique uh, with the teams that are going in to the playoffs. So young, so athletic, um, and, you know, just do some things um, that maybe some other teams are not capable of doing. So, uh you know, Spencer Strider is is one example of that. Uh, just this young guy who can absolutely blow you away, could could shut down a team and you know be a difference maker uh, in a series. Um, so, I, I am very encouraged uh, whether the Braves win this division or not. But you know, 
Uh, it obviously sets everything up better if they do win the division. And here's what the Braves, I think, need to basically do to make this happen. If you really dive into uh, the remaining schedule for the Braves and Mets for the rest of the season, you realize how daunting of a task it's going to be to overtake the Mets simply because the Mets have the easiest remaining schedule of any team in baseball. Um, they play uh, only two teams with winning records the rest of the way. They have a three-game set against the Brewers and a three-game set, of course, with the Braves near the right at the end of the season. Uh, so, you know, when you start thinking about that, uh, I really started looking at the games leading up to that series. So the Braves, um, I wanted to go with 16 games, uh, which doesn't exactly get to the Mets series, but the, these are games that kind of lead up to that. So I think over the next 16 games, the Braves really need to go about 12 and four. And that's, that's a, a high bar for sure. Um, but the only team during that uh, run that to me is, is really challenging is the Mariners. The Braves are going to be on the road a good bit, which is another challenge, though the Braves play pretty well on the road. Um, but going all the way to Seattle, playing a Mariners team that's definitely playing for a lot and playing well is going to be the biggest test during that stretch. Um, but after those six, uh, those 16 games, uh, this sets up the final four series of the year. So after those 16, the Braves would have four at Philly, three at Washington, three versus the Mets at home, and then they go back on the road and finish the year with three at the Marlins. So obviously, like I said, a lot of road games for the Braves. The Braves actually, the Braves actually only have 11 more home games all year out of their final 29 games total. So a lot of road games. That's one of the bigger challenges for the Braves. Now, they don't have a super difficult schedule either. They have the ninth easiest schedule in baseball. Uh, remaining. But again, it gets a little harder when you just think about being on the road that much. Um, so, you know, you look at the Mets remaining schedule and it's it's hard to, um, you know, maybe the Mets would collapse. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll do that. It's hard to imagine that really taking place simply because of um, their opponents going forward. I mean, they have games against the Pirates. They have several uh, games against uh, Washington. It's it's just teams that you just have a hard time picturing them losing multiple games to. Uh, so because of that, I wanted to try uh, in in bringing this episode to a close to uh, predict where I think the Mets are going to land in terms of their wins and losses and therefore what the Braves must do overall for the rest of the season. So I see the Mets finishing with 102 to 103 wins. And that's with me projecting that they're they're not going to play out of their minds the rest of the season, but they're going to continue to play solidly. Um, so that would be about them going like 18 and 11, 17 and 12 the rest of the way. And again, against mostly not great teams. Uh, but if they do that, that means the Braves would have to go about 21 and 8, right? The Braves would have to go 21 and 8 to get to 103 wins. Uh, that would require the Braves to finish the year with a 72 per, uh, 72 percentage uh, win percentage. And, you know, th they have had stretches. In fact, they've had long stretches during kind of from June 1st on where they have been at that level. So that is not outside of the realm of possibility that the Braves could finish uh, that well. Uh, but again, even if the Braves get to 103 wins, it's no guarantee that the Mets won't also, you know, get beyond that. Uh, it's it's totally plausible that the Mets 
finish with 105, 106 wins this year. And if they do that, I, I don't think it's very likely the Braves will be able to catch them. That's why the Braves can't really worry about what the Mets are doing. I mean, they just have to focus on, I know it's an old cliche, but they really just have to focus on what they need to do. The reality is if the Braves finish with 103 wins and don't win the division, it still means that they're playing ter terrific baseball uh, going into the playoffs. And, uh, you know, they're still set up, even though it's going to be a little harder to uh, to win and maybe face the Mets in an NLCS or uh, or the Dodgers or that sort of thing. I mean, either way, the Braves are going to have to play a really tough team to get back to the World Series. And, you know, we know that they're capable of doing that, especially with you think um, I'm just feeling so good about their top three in, in rotation right now with Freed and Wright and Strider. Um and Morton kind of being a wild card in that too, you know, as the veteran. So, you know, Braves fans, I really hope they can they can take this NL East title. I think uh, the next uh, two to three weeks is basically going to tell you what happens. If they can get to that uh, series with the Mets, maybe only being down a, a game, um, then, hey, it's, it's very, very possible at that point. I think the Mets would feel so much pressure. Um, the Braves would be on a really good run if that were the case, and who knows what would happen from there. So we'll be pulling for that, uh, but it's going to be fun to watch. I hope you enjoyed this episode of State of the Braves. Uh, be sure to continue to follow me on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, like and subscribe. I uh, really appreciate that, and I will talk to you guys soon.